Our text tonight is found in Luke 11, the passage we read together in verses 21 to 22. And we're looking at this whole theme of how Christ is the mighty victor, how he has overcome. And in our text, the Lord Jesus is teaching and dealing with this whole matter of the enemy and the forces of darkness as a, a consequence, really, of the accusations that came against him. And he makes it clear the reality of the situation and why he is not, as he was accused, a, a servant of the evil one, but in fact he is the one who would overcome the evil one. He is the Son of God and Lord of glory. And so it's interesting because I think in the days in which we live, people have a, a morbid fascination with the things of darkness and things such as the occult. And you see the way that it is worked its way through in media, in culture, and, you know, it's, it's all around us. And really, it's been one of Satan's great deceptions and accomplishments to portray himself and his hosts as harmless, as almost a, a, as a joke. And people don't realize the power of the enemy and the power of the devil. He is anything but weak. He is anything but harmless. He wants to ruin people, to destroy them, and to keep them under condemnation with him. And my dear friends, can I just say that for us as believers, that question is so vital, what fellowship has light with darkness? And the answer is none, none at all. And so we, we shouldn't even dabble near these things. We should be far from them. But the Lord Jesus, he speaks in a manner which helps us to understand what is taking place. And so we begin really by looking at the way in which he describes the enemy as the strong man armed. The Savior says that Satan, the strong man armed, is indeed just that. He is very strong. We must never underestimate the power of the devil. We should never trivialize him. We should never joke around about him. You know, he is a real enemy. He is exceptionally strong, exceptionally powerful, more powerful than all of us. He is immensely intelligent with energy. He is wholly wicked and evil. He is a truly deadly enemy. Do you know, we've spoken in the past about what we call total depravity in terms of our, ourselves and our state before the Lord. And simply it means that every one of us born into this world, uh, apart from the Lord Jesus, is ruined by sin in our nature. We are tainted by sin. Sin has tainted every part of us, every faculty, our bodies, our soul, will, affections, every part, but it doesn't mean that we are as bad as we could be. When people outside of the Lord Jesus die, when they are condemned forever and in that place of hell, their absolute depravity will then be fully unleashed. And then they will be the very worst that they can be. But the devil is absolutely depraved now. He is totally wicked all the time. He is as wicked as possible. He couldn't be more wicked than he is now. And he hates God. He is a sworn enemy of, of goodness and godliness. And he hates the Lord's people. He hates the church. He hates the scriptures. He hates pastors and elders and deacons and members of churches and all believers with a perfect hatred. And he is very strong. And then the Lord Jesus not only says, is he a, a strong man, but that he is armed, that he is literally fully armed. He is tooled up, he is armed as much as possible with power and evil and wickedness to do us harm. 
And in verse 21, it says that, you know, he has a palace, as it were, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace. And we know that in the word of God, it speaks of the sort of the devil's domain, as it were, consisting of all his hosts. You know, he's not the only demon in hell. There are a great multitude. You know, when the, the devil rebelled and sinned and was cast out of heaven for his rebellion and his sin, he wasn't the only one. There were thousands, evidently, of angels, as they originally were, who fell with him and became wicked spirits of darkness like himself now. And the word of God says that they are organized in hierarchy, a network of demons and demonic powers. And what is their desire? To do as much harm to God's cause in the world as they can. They desire to do as much harm to you and to me as they can. So that is his palace. And we're also told that he has goods and he keeps them locked away. And you say, well, what are these goods? What are his goods? Well, amongst other things, they are the lost souls of men and women and children in this life who don't know the Lord. And it's tragic to consider and people don't realize this. But, you know, this is the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, and he is explaining these things and he is telling us that outside of his kingdom are Satan's goods, as it were, under his sway. And he keeps them blissfully ignorant of their state. He blinds them. He keeps them in a state of mind in which they, they never think about their need of God. They never seek the Lord. They live for the things of this life only. And the devil is good at feeding them with those things. And, you know, people, you know, they may have the occasional fear of death, but when people without Christ have occasional fears of death and what may be after death, you know, then the devil soothes them, as it were, and tells them not to think about things like that. And he has all his media available and propaganda and places where people's consciences are numb so that they're asleep in their sins. You know, when he, anybody asks questions about whether they need to have their sins forgiven, you know, the devil is intelligent enough to have ways and means of keeping them quiet so that nobody gets too upset or too concerned. You know, he's even happy for them to have a little bit of religion if they want, as long as it's not the truth. You know, as long as it's not enough to save them. And he whispers his lies of peace to them. And so we're told that he's a strong man, fully armed, and you say, well, well, what are his armor? What are his weapons? How does he use and what does he do with these things? Well, verse 21, we also see that there is the weapon of ignorance. You know, the devil's great method of keeping people in the world in false peace is by keeping them ignorant of the truth of the gospel of Christ. He doesn't want them to have access to the word of God. He doesn't want them, you know, to come under the sound of the preaching of the gospel in a place like this. He doesn't like them to be near the Lord's people or to hear their testimonies. He doesn't like people to be in positions where they might be enabled to break out of their ignorance because one of his great weapons is to keep them ignorant of the truth. And so to keep people ignorant, he has a massive campaign in which he encourages propaganda against the truth, against God. And he does it by getting people to rubbish the Bible. He does it by saying that there's, there's no God, that we're here just by accident and without purpose, that there's nothing beyond death. And so you don't need to worry about it. You know, it's just nothingness. And so just, just concentrate on the now. Now, he doesn't believe that himself. He knows that that's not true, but he sows his lies to convince people. You know, the devil doesn't believe that there is no hell, but he promotes the idea. 
The devil knows that Christ is the Son of God. The devil believes every word of the Bible. He knows it is true. But his great craftiness and intelligence is used to stop people from believing it because he wants to keep his goods in peace. And then also the other weapon that he uses is carnal pleasure. He feeds people with all manner of things to, to numb the senses and to gratify bodily pleasures and all those things, you know, pictures to look at, music to listen to, which does them no good, company which does them no good, all of which pacifies and lulls into a deathly slumber. I was reading in the week an illustration from the life of a, a great preacher from the past. He was called Roland Hill. And uh, he's very famous in his day and he would preach the gospel powerfully and he had a, a loud voice and he would preach to thousands in the open air and on one occasion he was preaching in a market town in the open air and he just caught at the the back of where he was preaching behind all these people something that caught his eye and it stuck with him and it left a deep impression upon him and really what he saw was this towards the back of a crowd he saw a man with a big bag full of peas and behind him were a lot of pigs. And uh, this man was taking the pigs to market so that he could sell them and so that they could be slaughtered. Now, this man would regularly grab some of the peas and he would throw them on the road where he wanted the pigs to go. And, you know, as soon as they saw the peas, they would squeal with delight and they would eat up all the pods and they would move a bit closer, not realizing that they were headed to their death. And so a little further, more peas. And he would go ahead and as the pigs looked up, throw a few more on the ground and they would run to each of these. Little by little, with very minimal effort on his part, the pigs eagerly made their way to the slaughterhouse, not realizing they were running to their death. And Roland Hill, he thought to himself that it's precisely how the devil works with poor dying sinners. He throws them something to satisfy their carnal appetites and they happily run after the bait, but they don't realize that they're headed towards that place of destruction. And the Lord Jesus says that this strong man arm is keeping his goods in peace. You know, may I ask you, my dear friend, do you realize the truth of this? You know, the truth of God, do you see life like this? You know, as you, as you walk about, do you realize the, the sad condition of people who don't have Jesus as their Savior? That they're under the sway of the enemy and he is intent on ruining them. You know, please consider yourself. Do you realize the danger that you are in if you have not trusted the Lord Jesus? You know, these things are real. And a person who has never come to faith in Christ is in those chains. And the devil has them under lock and key, as it were. He is the strong man arm. And, you know, there will be those who say, well, you know, I reject that. No one controls me. You know, I do what I want to do. I, I can get out when I want. I make my own decisions. I, you know, I could become a Christian if I wanted. But, friend, you cannot break with the power of the devil as you imagine. He is very cunning and crafty and intelligent. He is a powerful foe. And no wonder this Savior of ours, this, this Lord from heaven, the Lord of glory, the Son of God, tells us clearly about the condition that we are in without him. And that is the way that it is. And it is a bleak outlook, apart from the fact that he then goes on to say that someone stronger has come. 
someone stronger has come to do something quite marvelous and wonderful. Look at verse 22. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. You know, who is the stronger than he? Well, thank God it is the Lord Jesus himself. It is the Son of God who is the stronger. And what a mercy that there is someone stronger than our fiercest enemy. And it is Jesus, the only Savior. You know, Satan is a mighty enemy, but Christ is almighty. And for all of Satan's wickedness, Christ has overcome. For all of Satan's lies, Christ is full of light exposing the truth. And friends, if you're a Christian, you should thank God often that Jesus Christ is mightier than the devil and that he is over, able to overturn the works of the devil. And no matter how much wickedness the devil may be sowing in the earth, at any time, we sang it together at the beginning, Jesus Christ can sweep it away and put it right because he rules and he reigns and he can overcome. And you say, well, how is it that Christ is stronger than the devil? Well, it's because of who he is. You know, he's not just a mere man. He is the God-man. And we should take time to think upon how incredible it is that there was a man who breathed the air of this world, who walked on this earth, who was not just a mere man, but he was God in the flesh. The whole God held dwelt bodily in him, that he was filled with the wisdom of God and the power of God and the strength of God. God manifest in the flesh. And if you just look a little bit earlier in the passage, verses 14 to 15, you know, there is a demonstration of the reality of that. It says, and he, Jesus, was casting out a demon and it was mute. And so it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the rule of the demons. And then if you look at verse 20, he answers them. He says, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now just picture the scene for a moment. The Lord Jesus is going about his earthly ministry. He's going from place to place. He is preaching salvation, explaining the truth. And as he went from one village to another, you know, there is a poor person who couldn't speak. They're mute. And so the appeal comes to Jesus to heal him, and he intervenes, and he casts out this devil that had brought the dumbness upon the child. Now, let me be clear. The Bible is not saying that the cause of muteness is always demon possession. That is not what it is saying. But on this occasion, this specific affliction was caused by that. And the devil somehow had power to stop him speaking. It was a terrible thing. But the Lord Jesus commands the enemy to leave the child alone. And so he had to go. And it's from this incident that you then have this whole section of teaching. And Jesus says, I cast out demons with the finger of God. Now, what does that mean? It means simply that the power of God is so vast that in that picture language, it only takes his little finger, as it were to cast out the whole power of the enemy. There is no comparison between the strength of Satan on the one hand and the power of God on the other. And Jesus Christ, by the finger of God, delivers men and women from the evil power of the enemy. You know, Satan is only a creature, but Jesus Christ is our creator. You know, Satan is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at a time. 
although he's able to move very quickly, appears, you know, that he is everywhere at once, but the devil cannot be everywhere at once. And Jesus Christ is different. He is omnipresent. He is almighty. He is all-knowing. And he calls himself the stronger than he. And that's why the Bible tells us, James 2, that the devils tremble at the very name of Christ. You know, in the Gospels, when our Lord cast out devils, sometimes they reacted to him. And what did they say? Well, think of Mark 1 and Matthew 8. They say, I know who you are. Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? They knew he was. They knew his authority. You know, the people didn't recognize him. The people mocked him. The people insulted the Lord Jesus. You know, they asked him for signs to, to try and convince them of who he was. You know, how sad and how insolent, you know, as if all the miracles that he did were not enough signs. As if the very words and sermons that he preached were not signs of his divinity. They, they were. The devil knew very well who he was. They, you know, they trembled when he came near. And we're told here that the truth of the gospel was demonstrated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Demonstrated in his very ministry that he was stronger than the devil. You know, in the temptations that he faced. You know, you see it 40 days in the wilderness fasting and when the 40 days were over, the devil came to him and tempted him to try and get him to fall. And the Lord Jesus proved to us all that he is stronger than the enemy. And he says in Luke 4, get behind me, Satan. And he uses the word of God to rebuff the temptations. He rejected all the temptations of the evil one. He was stronger than the evil one. And the devil had never been put to flight like that before. He'd never dealt with the God-man before. He'd always succeeded before. He succeeded with Adam, succeeded with Eve, succeeded many times, and especially with us, but he never succeeded once with Christ. You know, it shows us that we must combat the enemy with the word of God. That's the pattern that we're given by the Lord Jesus to bring against him the truth of God, you know, to resist the enemy in that way. But the whole of Jesus' ministry was to overcome the power of the devil. He came to smash in pieces the power of the enemy. And when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit down on the day of Pentecost to fill his disciples with that power of preaching and grace, it was to destroy the kingdom of the enemy as well. To smash in pieces the devil's court. I wonder if you've ever realized these things. Have you ever thought about them? You know, the greatest kindness that you can do to other people is to tell them of Jesus, to point them to the gospel, you know, to, to bring them to the house of God, to show them the word of God, to help them to know the truth of the word, you know, to bring them to hear that Jesus saves. And it is through this wonderful gospel and through Christ alone that they can escape from this palace where the enemy keeps his goods in peace, locked away all their life until death when it's too late. And you say, well, if Jesus is the stronger man, what does this stronger man do? Well, verse 22, we're told, firstly, that he comes upon him. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it refers to the Lord Jesus coming into the world. You know, there was never a savior like this in the world before. When Christ came to be born at Bethlehem and to live and to minister and to die for us, he is the stronger than he coming upon the devil. You know how the powers of hell trembled at the birth of Christ. 
You know, there was bad news in hell and amongst the devils of hell when they heard that Jesus was born of Mary in a stable. What consternation. And no wonder they tried to stir up King Herod to kill him without success. And as the Lord Jesus grew into a toddler and then a boy and then to a man, how the eyes of all the hosts of evil resented him and hated him. And they would have destroyed him if they could. They watched as he was baptized of John in the Jordan and filled with the Holy Spirit and then going on to cast out the devils by the power of God. This was the greater than he coming. And the devils knew it. And when at last our Lord Jesus came to that cross and died for our sins, we're told by Paul that he made a show of the devils openly, triumphing over them in his death at Calvary, Colossians 2. He has smashed forever the power of the enemy. And in the darkness of the cross, we've said it so many times, the devil thought that he was defeating Christ. He thought that the victory had been secured. But it was Christ securing the victory. It was Christ reconciling his people to God. It was Christ defeating the darkness, delivering us out of his clutches. He delivered those who all their lifetime were subject to his bondage. It's one of the most wonderful things about the cross. It is the place of triumph where the enemy is cast out, defeated. You know, even at this very moment, men and women from around the world are being set free by the liberating work of Jesus Christ, set free from the power of the devil. You know, Paul says in Romans 1, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. You know, there is no other power that can save us. And that power was released at the cross, as it were. And it's what we find in verse 22. The Lord Jesus says, The stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him. You know, how does Christ take away the devil's armor? Well, I'll tell you. It is through the preaching of the gospel. The gospel is the light from heaven that shines into people's hearts And when a person realizes the truth of the words of Jesus Christ, they understand that they're locked in this prison house of sin and condemnation. And what do they do? They begin to cry out to God for mercy and for help. And God hears their cry. Why did we read Psalm 107? Well, let me remind you of what it says. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He broke their chains in pieces. He has broken the gates of bronze. He has cut the bars of iron in two. Friend, have you ever called upon the Lord for deliverance? Have you ever called upon the Lord for mercy? If not, why not? Surely now is the time to know the wonder of what we'll sing in a little while. My chains fell off. My heart was free. This is what Jesus does. You know, there we are in all of our desperation, in all of our chains, and the gospel of the Lord Jesus is proclaimed, and the Holy Spirit strips away the veil of blindness and convinces us that we need him. And people are unable to cry out to the mighty victor, to cry out to the Savior. I remember when I was preaching away a few years ago, and after the gospel service, a young lady 
came to speak with me in the church. And she was in such distress. And so I asked her what she wanted to say. And she replied, she said, I know I'm not saved. She said, I know I'm lost. I've not been converted like you were preaching about in the message. I know I'm lost. You know, those words were very precious to me. And I'll tell you why. Because salvation begins with that realization that you're lost and that you need a rescuer, that you need Jesus. And that young lady went on to be soundly converted. She's going on with the Lord. She's been set free and she's walking with him. And my dear friend, I ask you this night, if you have never realized that you are lost without Christ, how will you ever begin to pray for deliverance? And so Christ is at work to show these things and to reveal them and to bring us to the truth of the gospel. You know, there's a true account from many, many years ago. The Reformation in England, there was a very neat and quiet Christian, and he was called Thomas Bilney. And uh, he wasn't a, a shouter or an imposing presence, but he was a very precious believer and a great man. And in fact, he would go on to be martyred because he loved the Lord Jesus. But he had a great concern for a well-known Roman Catholic priest called Hugh Latimer before he was saved. And this man, Bilney, who had a desire to see Hugh Latimer saved, he went to him and he said, Father Priest, I would like to make my confession to you. Now, that's a very standard thing in the Catholic Church, and so Latimer agreed to hear this man's confession. And so Bilney got down on his knees and he said, Father, I have sinned, and I did not know anything about peace with God until I came to see that we can be freely justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And he, he went on, and this confession goes on, and you can read it, and really he was preaching the gospel. And Latimer, as he heard these things, he was shaken to his core. He'd never heard anything like it before. And Billy's confession was the confession of a saved sinner. And we can guess what happened next. He was converted. And he left the deadness of Rome, and by the grace of God, Hugh Latimer became a powerful preacher of the gospel. You see, Christ coming and stripping away the, the superstition from his mind and letting in the light. And that is what the Lord Jesus says in our text. He takes away from the enemy all his armor. The truth of the gospel is what sets people free. John 8, 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It is the gospel truth that you need. It's the truth that we all need. You know, from the greatest to the least, there is one gospel. And all the people around us, all the great and the good, and all the others, all the others like the rest of us, we need the truth of God to shine in our hearts. And nothing can bless this country more than that God would raise up evangelists and preachers everywhere to show the truth of God in the land. And in that way, the devil's kingdom will be despoiled of its goods right, left, and center. And as we finish, you know that last part. What next? He divides his spoil. You know, when Christ comes into the lives of men and women, he takes you know, some of them away, he divides them. You know, who does he take away? He takes away from the devil's kingdom saved sinners, those who believe, those who long for life in him. You know, but those who remain, they reject the Savior. They want to stay in their chains and, and their condemnation. 
But for those of us who believe, we are set free. We are the spoil. You know, maybe if we are believers tonight, we can remember the time when Christ broke into our life. When we were drawn out of the darkness, when we were drawn from the dungeon, as it were, and set free, and we felt and knew the power of God rescuing us and bringing us to salvation in him, even when maybe many around us preferred to stay in their chains. But like Wesley, we knew what it was for the dungeon to flame with light, the light of Christ and the mighty gospel. All of a sudden, maybe what was you know, a closed book to us and a, a message that just didn't seem real to us, all of a sudden gripped us. And more than that, we saw the Lord Jesus. And Christ divides the spoil. He divides the spoil of the strong. He takes out at the devil's kingdom and palace and house and courtyard all those who call upon him for mercy. And my beloved friends, we have to be delivered by Christ. We are saved by blood, but we also saved by power. You know, those are the two agencies that Christ uses, blood and power. And he delivers us from everything that is against us. He delivers us from the wrath of God. He delivers us from condemnation. He delivers us from eternal death. He delivers us from the love of sin. He is the victor. And that work is granted to us. And in him, we know the victory. In him, we are more than conquerors. And I want to be very clear with you tonight. All other messages, all other speculations, all other mysteries and darkness and powers and mysticism, they are tools of the enemy to keep you from Jesus Christ, to keep you intrigued and fascinated and superstitious you know you know superstitious ideas of a darkened mind it is the truth of Christ that sets you free and so the question is have you believed in have you believed this truth are you calling in your heart and soul to God oh God deliver me that the devil may have to give you up that the stronger than he will deliver you from death and hell, that he will bring you safe home to his heavenly kingdom at last. Jesus says very simply this night, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Here is the door to freedom. It is Jesus Christ, the one who can break the chains, who can set the captive free. And I pray even this night that by God's grace, the truth would set you free and that you would walk from this place knowing that your sins are forgiven in Jesus, that you have life in him and hope and that you have a certain future to be with him in glory forever. God grant that it may be so for everyone sitting here tonight, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. May it be that you turn away from all those lies of the evil one and trust the Savior who can save you and who can keep you. Amen.